Welcome to Namespace Podcast. I'm Jordan, and I'm here with my co-host, Derek. Um, today, we're going to talk about test-driven development. Um, so, you know, we'll start off with some, uh, you know, introductions, uh, like definitions and history, and then we're going to get into just some discussion about um, our experience with TDD and you know, different topics such as like integration versus unit testing and code coverage. And some of these topics are very um, opinionated, like there's no real answer to all of it, which is what makes this such an interesting topic. Except for my answers. I, <laughs> I have all the answers. No, we're still trying to figure out a lot of this yeah. stuff. Honestly, there's so much. Um, it changes from scenario to scenario. Like you really have to use judgment, like a lot of judgment when testing. Right. I, I think we uh, kind of want to subtitle the episode. The number one best practice is to not be dogmatic. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> and as, as we read through a bunch of articles and looked at this. Yeah. Don't be dogmatic. Yeah, that that's basically that could be a subtitle for this whole episode. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think going back to it, test-driven development was first kind of started by Kent Beck in 1990. I want to say it was the year. It was that, or the 90s. I forget. <laughs> yeah, so somebody says uh, he invented it. Others say like they rediscovered test-driven development. Um, yeah, which. There's two kind of definitions we liked. One was from Martin Fowler and the other, again, personal hero of mine, Uncle Bob. Mm -hmm. So run us through the definition Martin Fowler gives. Yeah. So um, from Martin Fowler's website, we found test-driven development is a technique for building software that guides software development by writing tests. Follow three simple steps repeatedly. Write a test for the next bit of functionality you want to add. Write the functional code until the test passes. And then refactor both new and old code to make it well structured. So that's pretty much the process. It's a very simple concept, writing your tests before you code and then code until it passes. It's, it's a very simple concept, but then there's so much detail that we're going to get into. <laughs> Yeah, and really, Un Uncle Bob's isn't much different. Yeah. Uh, I, I got this from his Clean Coders videos. Uh, and I think he talks about red-green testing is when he brings this up. But it's, you write just as much of your test as needed to make it fail, and then you write just as much of the unit under test to make it pass. And you go through these iterations until you get the full uh, test written and I guess I'm going to save the benefits of doing that until we get to that planned section. Uh, but it is really just that process that, you know, Martin Fowler had. Right. Write your test first and then make your test pass. Mm -hmm. I think that's the simplest way to put that. Yeah. Um, let me see. What else do we have? Well, so I, kind of a historical look there. We talked about it starting in the oh, 1990s. Yeah. Uh, back in 2014, there was a big article written uh, that TDD is dead. And then I've noticed over the, the last like two years, really, a lot more articles coming out saying that TDD is bad or TDD is dead or, you know, I'm committing to not doing TDD anymore for whatever reason. Um. And, and now we're here today doing this podcast to settle all of the fights mm -hmm. and all of the misconceptions about TDD. Mm -hmm. This is like the birth of Jesus. <laughs> we will measure years. It is like from that. This podcast. <laughs> I'm so confident that we've done so much research. We, yeah. So, so we did read a lot of articles. We were trying to kind of figure out what the argument against TDD was. And um, basically every article that says TDD is bad or TDD is dead includes countless disclaimers to, but I don't think it's bad. It's like, that's the title of the article. <laughs> yeah, the, the best one was everybody. Uh, and I mean, literally all of them say, I don't have anything against writing tests. I don't have anything against TDD in general. And then they'd like pick one specific issue that they had but all of them had those super clickbaity titles of like tdd is dead or why tdd is bad and it, 
in the one that was titled why tdd is bad i think in the conclusion i don't remember the words exactly they basically said tdd isn't bad yeah it was really funny so what we've discovered is everybody's argument against tdd is that um people are doing it wrong that's a very common one. So it's that, like... Or people are being dogmatic. Or people are being and dogmatic. we refer to our subtitle for the episode. Yes. The number one best practice is don't be dogmatic. Exactly. So that's those are the two, I guess, arguments against TDD is just that people don't know how to do it right or um, people try so hard to do it perfect that it becomes a nightmare. And um, this can be like over mocking like writing way too many mocks and then your tests become over complicated or um in doing it wrong for example like not letting your tests fail first because that's very important in making sure that your tests are actually testing what they're supposed to be testing right so if you don't do that then it's like well then you're not really doing tdd that's not an argument against tdd being bad it's an argument against somebody not properly implementing tdd so yeah, those are just a couple examples, but yeah, I would say as an industry, like as a, as a whole, we like tests mm-hmm. somehow, and and we're about to get into this because as Jordan and I were talking, we found out that Jordan doesn't do TDD. Yeah, it's sad. We'll we'll get we'll get into it. <laughs> um, but all that being said, she has some of the best tests I've ever seen. I do think about my so, tests really hard. <laughs> yeah, the, the best and the most tests I've ever seen. So we're not, we're not going to falter too much. We're going to forgive her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for not doing TDD because she's going to start. I'm going to start working on it. Yeah. Give it a shot. Um, yeah. I, but some of the TDD being done wrong is because people get definitions wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the one that causes the most is the definition of unit. Yeah. And for me, actually, that was a big one because mm-hmm. uh, I was of the very dogmatic mindset. A unit is this function of this class, mm-hmm. you know, or something of that granularity. And then my personal hero, Uncle Bob, tweeted something out. Uh, we actually wrote down the tweet. Do if you want to read, you can read the tweet since you're the person that takes notes and I wing everything. Which oh, one? look at that. I can, I can. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and use Jordan's notes. Okay. The word unit in unit testing usually just means small. Other than that, the word has no agreed definition. Some TDDers call them micro tests to stress the smallness. I prefer programmer tests because using TDD, they are written by programmers for programmers. Yeah. Uh, and so that was just like mind blown epiphany for me of, oh, I used to get so angry at integration tests because they weren't unit tests and they slowed things down and they had difficult setups, uh, which was always like a watered down argument for me because I'm like, well, sometimes they're really not that difficult to set up. Sometimes they're easier than my my mocks and my unit tests. Mm but I was dogmatic. Ah, unit test. You can't do that. Yeah, make it as tiny as it can be. Yeah. And then, you know, Uncle Bob just shatters my world with a tweet. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, now. But like, I, I, I like his ahead. definition. And I think yeah. if we adopt that definition as, for the rest of our conversation here, you know, it's going to bring a lot of context to some of what we're doing or some of what we're saying. Yeah. Because um, I guess like by that definition, um, the idea of a unit test versus an integration test kind it, it kind of becomes difficult to draw that line like um, if your test is testing you know you're testing one class but it calls another class is that an integration test because the two classes are integrated or would it, it would still be a unit test by this definition because it's just kind of like one use case one bit of functionality or like one behavior per se so the line becomes a little fuzzy between unit and integration um besides like we were talking about when you're integrating two systems like um like a database yeah now now that's certainly integration yeah Um, my 
I kind of just off the cuff pitched a definition for integration test, which was any test that crosses an architectural boundary. So -hmm. if you're testing across the REST framework or you're testing across a database, something like that becomes an integration test and things that stay all within your code is a unit test. Yeah, that, that's kind of. But then there's also like the argument where you you're like, OK, so I hit my REST API endpoint and so I hit my controller and then it goes to my repository and then it goes to my. Well, now I hit a, a database, I guess. So now it's not integration. Yeah, anymore. And you also but, hit the REST endpoint. OK, yeah. But uh, it, so that if one, you're just testing the controller, which you can like in most frameworks, you can construct an instance of your controller call that function and pass in a mock request object and as long as you stop it in you know your repository and we're assuming using the repository pattern here we're not talking about a git repo oh yeah um that i would consider as a unit test because we've not crossed an architectural boundary yet Okay, so now we have a unit test, right? And now the question is, is it worth it to like make this mock request and make um, like mock out the repository or is it more valuable just to um, just to hit the endpoint and go all the way through the system? What do you think? Do you think like I I would say that um, it depends you might, on how complex that controller is. Yeah, this is this is where TDD and unit testing and code coverage and all that just becomes like very. Um, you you have to you have to think about it in terms of your scenario, and that's why it's so hard, and that's why people have so many problems with it. Is there's not like a clear cut definition for unit or a clear cut definition for um, how much you should mock. Right. There are diminishing returns as you become more dogmatic with those standards. Uh, So as you push more for the 100% code coverage, you start losing value on tests and things. And uh, if you get too dogmatic with they have to be units and no integrations and you mock and you never use a database, that's going to be diminishing the value of those tests. And part of our job as an engineer, and I will be heard saying it a lot why we get paid so well is that we make the engineering choices which is Mm -hmm. the balance between perfection and value uh, and we make them at the right places i think we can make that uh, again a mantra for this episode is it's an engineering choice you know your situation better than the rest of us uh, so just make sure you're making good decisions Mm mm-hmm Yes. So we we just hit like a bunch of different little points that we've been discussing for a while now. But another another topic that we talked about a lot before this episode and did a lot of research on is trying to figure out the difference between TDD and BDD. Um, Well, so we've talked about TDD test driven development and then BDD uh, is behavioral driven development and there's just so many similarities and it was very difficult to pinpoint a clear cut differentiation for a while. And we finally came to a conclusion um, and we'll see what you guys think if you guys agree, because um, we yeah, did a lot us. of yeah at us uh, because we want to know what y'all think about our clear cut definition, because it it's so many articles are out there and it's so difficult to find the difference. But um Well, this is what we've decided. BDD is a subset of TDD um, where... Suited for QA teams. Suited for QA teams um, where you are... I'm trying to think of a specific word. Where where you are acting as the end user. You're carrying out a behavior or a scenario. That's behavior-driven development. And then test-driven development would be, um, you know, the programmer test, the test that you write, that a programmer writes for programmers where you are considering the implementation uh, first and foremost, where you're considering how you're going to write your code and you write your tests in such a way that you test the functionality you are about to implement. Um, 
but now I'm coming back. So, so the one, one thing that's very similar that we found between BDD is, and TDD is both um, argue the concept of writing your tests before you write your code. Well, yeah, they're, they're both driven development. So, so in doing BDD, this drives the development, right. which means it has to happen first. So in BDD, I guess you write just like the English plain um, behavior that is expected before you write your code. Yeah. So jumping back to when I was getting the computer science degree, uh, we had a software engineering course and I talked about something very similar. And I thought it, it was use cases and you you'd have these two columns, which is user does something, system responds with this, user responds this way, system responds this. And you just run that down and you would have a use case like that. And it seems very related to BDD. Mm-hmm. And so, it, yeah, it's just plain English writing, writing down, this is what the yeah. user inputs, this is what the system outputs. It's kind of black box testing. Yeah. Yeah, where I mean, I... Go ahead. TDD is kind of white box testing. You're in the box and you know what's going yeah. on. Um, but it's all written down first. Yeah, I guess I've never worked on a team that does BDD because I wouldn't know, like, um, I don't know where you're supposed to put these behavior, like the the behaviors that the developer writes down beforehand. I'm like, I don't know what the system is for all of that. Like TDD makes a lot more sense to me, but I'm not sure. I think it comes through sprint plannings and design meetings and stuff like that. The behaviors given yeah. to you maybe, or you, yeah. So I don't have B, we don't, well, have you done BDD? Do you think? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I've worked on a project that said it did BDD and it was really TDD with just a fancy framework. Okay. Um, you know, the like, okay, cool. Was, <laughs> at, was, at the time I was like, that's BDD. That doesn't seem too different. I like this. This is cool. Um, but from what we came down with is what BDD is. No, I've, I've not oh, worked okay. on a team that does that. Right. Hmm. Well, yeah, if you're on a team that does BDD, definitely hit us up and let us know what um, what you're actually doing, because I'm curious. Yeah. And finding <laughs> actual articles that describe the difference between the two and included code samples yeah. was so hard. It was so, so it just sounded like the same thing every time they said a yeah. difference. It was like you're saying the same thing. But one of the main differences that we kept finding, um, which we mentioned, but TDD is your your mindset when writing that test is you, you're thinking about the code implementation and your mindset when you're writing a BDD test is you're thinking about how the end user will be interacting with your code, which means it is for testing the front end primarily like you can't really um your user is not going to be interacting directly with uh your back end code so bdd is for front end testing but yeah it's it was a very the the best i could come up with was selenium testing yeah like selenium uh, which i've never written a selenium test in my life but you know it kind of makes sense yeah and then in that case it's like well are your automation engineers who are writing selenium tests supposed to write the test before you start coding because if it's t i mean i would assume that it's just you write those instructions like the manual test sort of worded instructions like user does this system responds with this user then does this i would assume that it's just the english the plain english words that are written before the code because i would think qa would come in second but i don't know i i i mean tdd is much more of a broad concept i would say like, yeah. we, like BDD is a subset, so it's a little bit more difficult to pinpoint it. 100% agree with that. Yeah. But anyway, definitely hit us up uh, at namespace.pod at gmail.com with your input on TDD versus BDD, because that's a really interesting mm-hmm. topic. Or at us, namespace yes. underscore pod on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Okay, but great. Let's talk about like... You're not actually doing TDD. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about your experience. Let's talk about Because <laughs> you, you said you were doing TDD and you lied to me. Well, I lied. Okay. So I do unit testing. 
that's <laughs> but true okay so so yeah my what do you do right right so my workflow is uh generally what i'll do i'll have like two files open on the same monitor usually and it's like as i write my code i write the name of a test so I, I do write my functionality first, but as I'm writing my functionality, um, once I hit a certain point in a function where I realize like, oh, there's got to be a conditional here. There's two different options that might need to execute. So I go ahead and put in like the names of two different tests, like a test to um, test if something if the first condition is hit versus the second condition. Right. And I have so I, I'm still reaping that benefit of having um your code fresh in your mind as you're testing rather than writing a whole bunch of code and then having to like dig your way back through it to test it um i'm i'm still able to like identify um things that need to be tested as i'm coding but i do not write my tests first yeah, and there's one other more very important thing that you do Okay, so oh, I make my test fail. Yes, there we go. Yeah, because because that's the other thing that we were just talking about with TDD. If you if you write your test first, you can run the test file and be like, um, okay, it failed. Yeah, it, it is starting from an error condition is validating the correctness of your test. Yeah, this is a very important part of unit so testing. It, one of the things people will complain about is tests is, oh, well, don't you have to test your tests? Where does it ever stop? You have to test the test, the test of the test, and then you test the <laughs> test and test and tests. Test, 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 test. And when you start from the error condition, you are validating that it correctly tests for something. Because if you're testing it and, you know, there's nothing getting returned, you validated that it is correctly testing something's there. Right. And so that's why it's so important in TDD to start from an error condition. Yeah. So I, I do technically, um, you know, when I run my tests, sometimes it fails because I, I have like a bug and I have to fix it or whatever. But if it passes, I 100% will um, change the assertion to assert the opposite or whatever to make sure that the test fails at that point. Uh, and that that ensures that my test is testing what I'm trying to test, that my test will fail if um, if the code is incorrect. So I, I do validate that. And it probably is kind of like a one off way of doing that by, um, you know, because TDD, the idea is that your test would fail from the start because you haven't implemented the function yet. But, you know, that's. At least I'm still validating that the tests are accurate. So I, I will soon, though, I will I will write all my tests first and we'll see how that goes, because it, it's just kind of difficult for me to think in terms of tests. Like, it's so much easier for me to just start writing code. <laughs> but well, And that's why everybody does it that way. Yeah, no, it, it is yeah. about the discipline and the standard you hold yourself to. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the as you're coding especially if you do test driven development you get to a point where you're like oh i need a test for this condition oh that test should have been there before people then use that as like oh well so you can never know you just write your code first then you write tests until you have 100 code coverage of that function it's like that's one way to do it sure but if you get to one of those situations where oh i should have had a test for this just add the test at that time yeah like get it get it handled don't be perfect yeah you don't have to worry about writing every single possible test that you can think of off the bat like eventually you will want every test you can think of but you might not think of them all at first you can add them as yeah. you go um don't get too dogmatic about it yeah don't be too dogmatic uh, another quote off the cuff here comes from patrick bet david perfection gets in the way of explosion many many times so just don't Try to be perfect. I feel that. Yes, you should. <laughs> yes, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So that, that's Jordan's way of doing TDD. Yeah. I am a, a more purist of TDD. Uh, one of my more preferred ways to do it is something called consume first test driven development. Mm -hmm. And this kind of puts an emphasis on the designing of your class or your API 
where you have to consume the code that is about to be tested before you write the test. Um, and you know, it, it's going to be really difficult to just speak an example out without yeah. writing it down, but it, it would be something like, uh, add this to the database or, well, I guess so you, it's like you write your function call and you pass in parameters without actually defining the function yet. You you already know what the function is going to be named. You know right. what you're going to pass it. You know what you want back, but you haven't actually written the function yet. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you want to define how you're going to interact with that function yeah. before you write the test for the function. And that helps prevent that scenario where, oh, I forgot to test for this, uh, you know, up front. Because mm -hmm, you already and, and know it, how it's going to be used. So you already know what options you have for what you might, what variables you might be giving it and what you want to receive back and what you wouldn't want to receive back. Yeah. And, and it kind of gets you closer to that whole BDD style. But in this case, your users are other developers that would be using your code. Yeah. Because if you're writing decent abstractions and other developers are going to use it. Uh, so if you did the whole consume first, you know, hopefully you have a really nice interaction for them. Mm hmm. Uh, I don't always do consume first test driven development. I'll be honest, I don't always do test driven development because there's some times where it's like, eh, I don't know how I want to structure this and I just want to prototype something uh, and then I'll throw a prototype yeah. and get something working and then then I'll start doing test driven development as I fully flesh out the, the feature. Mm hmm. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, like it's it's hard sometimes just to think in terms of the test when you don't know exactly what your implementation is going to be yet, you know? Okay, well, do you have anything else to add about your your experience with TDD? I don't know. We, we have a few more topics with like, mm. so I guess let's talk about what we consider the TDD benefits, which... Um, well, we already mentioned a couple of them. We mentioned a lot of them. So starting from an error condition. You starting from an error condition. The test. You get little victories along the way. Every time you see your test pass, it's like, yay, yeah. I know how to write code. Yeah. Oh, I broke it. Okay, let's go fix it. Yay, it works. Yeah, you have, and like like we also mentioned, your tests are, um, like you don't have to go back and dig through your code to figure out what needs to be tested because sometimes it feels like you're just doing development twice like you have to go through all of your code again and figure it all out again um, when you could just have already completed that part um, as you go yeah I'm, I'm doing a lot of reverse engineering yeah. for work right now uh, and some of that is adding tests for these just huge you know 150 200 line functions it's like okay I'm guessing it inputs and all that stuff and I think this is supposed to be coming out yeah. having looked at it and it's like oh this fails because this thing's not imported or and it's just like, that is frustrating and demotivating mm -hmm. compared to when I do test-driven development of the exact, you know, the, the new version of this thing I'm reverse engineering. It's just like, oh, this is so satisfying and easy and rewarding. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it takes that mental toll off you as a developer. And that's really where the burnout comes at the end of the day is exhaustion over frustrating things like this. For sure. Um, Save your career, TDD. Yeah, be happier. That could be TDD. a shirt. That could be like a license plate or a bumper sticker. There's a lot of quotes that could be good for TDD. Um, a lot of people feel really strongly about it. Uh, so and then I guess we listed a few other benefits that were just like unit testing benefits. I don't... I, I, I got to go back for a minute. What's that? Go. Because I, I got to use a quote. Oh, go for it. That I can be yeah, quoted. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to test-driven development, right, in, in my experience... If you are mocking functions that don't cross an architectural boundary, you are not using test data that reflects the data your system actually works with. That's just some general advice for TDD. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why that quote just popped into my <laughs> But yeah. yeah, you need to use like data your system's actually going to work with, not random stuff. For sure. Yeah, so you, when I guess whenever you're writing your tests ahead of time, you have to be aware of what data your system is going to um, to be using. Right, yeah. It's very important. I, I had to follow up on some tests where it was supposed to loop over a list of dictionaries or something like that, and this developer was passing in an integer and expecting back something. I was 
like what yeah makes no sense <laughs> so th- that is when i came back oh, and it's because they were mocking some stuff but at that point it's like does that test really even matter <laughs> yeah exactly you you definitely need to be working with um data that your system is working yeah. with and we're gonna that's kind be of another realists. sub sub discussion we're gonna have in a minute is about mocking because because yeah that'll happen all the time whenever maybe that function was returning an integer and so it's mocked to return an integer right now um but it got changed to return a dictionary and now your mock is still returning an integer. So we're, we're going to talk about mocking because that can be an issue in code for sure. That's why you got to make sure um, that in your unit tests, it is always the data structure that your system is actually using. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I think we're going to do benefits of just unit testing in yeah. general at first. Yeah, which hopefully nobody out there is arguing against that. I mean... I think they do. I think the only argument against unit testing... Well, you know, like in a hackathon or something, people will be like, don't unit test, we don't have time for that. But still... Yeah, no. <laughs> it'll help. The, the very first hackathon helps. that I ever participated in, uh, the, the senior dev that was on our team and myself... Uh, like I added a test file and it had a stub of a test function. Yeah. And he's like, Derek, I'm so proud of you for doing that. You're the only <laughs> one that even tried. The only one who even thought but, of it. Yeah. Also, hackathon code never makes to production. Oh, it hackathon code. All, all hackathon code. Okay, I can't say this because, you know, that's a fallacious argument, but I would imagine all hackathon projects that end up in production get completely rewritten because oh, you just don't have yeah. time for quality 100 percent. i hope yeah well um yeah i guess just like the benefits of unit testing would be obviously better code less buggier code and if anybody is arguing against unit testing out there and you have unit tested before i would say you should just ask yourself have you ever wrote a complete file of unit tests that all passed and your code was perfect it's like that's so rare usually you have to go in and it's like there's a very minor thing maybe you have to fix or like a you know like a typo in this one thing or oh you got your you know if you're using a dynamically typed language like something was the wrong type you're like oh let me fix that all of, like if you hadn't wrote the unit test, all those would be bugs in production. You know, maybe maybe someone notices it in a pull request, but um, oh my gosh, it just saves so much time in the long run if you can catch these bugs ahead of time. And then now in the future, if some developer tries to go change your file and they change something that shouldn't have been changed, the test will fail and they'll become aware the, of it. So a great benefit of unit tests is it's just a way to warm up a new developer to a project. Okay, yeah. And like, oh, I need to figure out what this function does. Oh, look, there's some tests. Look, I can run them and put a breakpoint. And then I'm like, I'm just in the context of what I need to be in. Yeah. So nice. So many times I've started on a project that's millions of lines of code. And I'm like, where's the test? I don't know how to get started with this. Yeah, because if there's tests, you're like, what's this function do? How is it supposed to be used? You you have a little bit to go on and you can start doing the scientific method of, oh, what happens if I tweak this? Oh, look, that comes back. That's what I expected. That's what I need. Yeah. You know, right unit tests. Yeah. Great to have. Um, Okay, And then, yeah, we'll get into the whole integration versus unit testing conversation, which we already talked about a little bit. It's very difficult to define a unit. um, But if I guess I would say for sure, if the test is crossing architectural boundaries, integration. But even if you're staying within the context of a system and you just have so many classes within classes within classes called, even though it's within the subset of the system, it feels like an integration test because um, you've got so many, if you have so many classes that are interdependent or just depending on each other. Right. So going back to Uncle Bob's definition of unit meaning small. Yeah. And what we've already said of be an engineer, you know, make the engineering trade off to provide the most value over time. Like, th- think about your 
tests is there a way that you can make it smaller Mm -hmm. if by making it smaller are you cutting the complexity of the tests and you know making it easier to maintain and understand and it's like yeah cut your test down a little bit Mm -hmm. don't don't call between those two classes if you don't have to yeah like use your best judgment um that's really what it comes down to is using your best judgment in terms of what your unit should be. So Uh, I would say that if you're following the, the solid design principles, you're going to get to the point where you can cut those down pretty small, almost to the point where it's like a one-to-one match, which isn't a goal. Like I'm not saying make that your target, but I'm saying if you follow good coding principles, clean code principles, you'll get pretty close. A one-to-one match with, like, classes to tests or functions to tests? Or wait, a one-to-one match of what? Um, you have a module in Python that's basically a file, and you mm-hmm. have a test file for that. Okay, one-to-one match of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's usually how my tests end up being, and I, I, I kind of just... That's how I format my tests, really. But we, we, there is a quote. I guess we could read the Uncle Bob quote about that. Um, that tests are partitioned by threads of behavior, not by classes. Any given test will often involve many classes within the tested behavior. You may partition your production code with classes, but you shouldn't force your tests to adhere to that structure. But I guess a lot of the times they do end up kind of following that structure, your tests with your classes. Well, yeah, they they do and they can and they will. Uh, up at the high level, you'll almost always end up for a one-to-one because your test and your production code follow along behavioral yes. lines. But as you dig into the system, your system, the production code becomes more general in nature and tests become more specific. And so yeah. as you go down, you'll start to see that diverging yeah happening there that's a good one i, I think I, I believe that's an uncle bob quote as well yeah he went on a tweet storm a i'll just while I'll, i have the quote here i'll Do just you? read okay. it okay because <laughs> we have a bunch of good ones okay he, he has good advice it's why we follow him at namespace underscore pod on our twitter accounts i guess if I'm he sure. has an instagram i'll go follow him okay do it <laughs> okay anyway here, here's the quote about that at the highest levels, the structure of the tests mirrors the structure of the code because they both mirror use cases. But as you descend, the two structures diverge because the tests grow in specificity, but but code grows in generality. So that's kind of, you, you might see um, your code and your tests doing something similar, which makes sense. Um, And now we kind of get to, I mean, back to like the integration versus unit testing thing, like um, a unit can kind of just, you can consider it a use case basically for for the most part. And that brings us back to BDD. Yeah, (laughs) use case is like a behavior, but but a unit can just be a use case. Um, It might hit multiple classes, but you might you might not want those classes to hit each other. You might want to like mock one out for certain reasons, um, which, yeah, I guess, I don't know, to finalize the integration versus unit testing thing, if there's one thing we could say about it, um, what do you think? I mean, so we already decided it's definitely an integration test if it crosses architectural boundaries. So, And even if your unit test is hitting multiple classes, you're still testing a unit. It's still like a use case, right? So we're yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Okay, so that's what we think. If you don't think that, just let us know. If you agree, let us know because we're curious about all of these. Like we said, it's very opinionated and it really vague is. Um, topics. But okay, so the next one: How extensive should mocking be? Which we've talked about this one again already i mean it's it's so much just like use your best judgment very difficult there are certain clear-cut rules that we think make sense um do you i don't know i guess the first clear-cut cool that we had the first clear-cut rule that we had written down was that you don't need to um test your sorry this is you don't need to test 
external library functions that are being performed in, in memory. Like if it's, you know, um, a request, like an HTTP requests library and you don't want to actually hit the API, you know, mock, mock that out for sure. But don't like you, you can trust that the external library's code is working. Yeah, you know, for Python, if you have the, uh, if you import JSON, JSON, yeah. you know, you're doing in-memory manipulation of strings and JSON strings and dictionaries, basically. You know, you don't need to mock those out. Yeah. That's when my quote comes into play. Like, you're you're not testing with data that your system actually handles. Yeah. You know, so just make sure you're testing with those. Yeah. Um, so that's one rule. But then, you know, whenever it comes to overmocking or undermocking, it's like, you know, when you overmock, now you're, yeah, you're not working with data that your system directly provides. There are definitely times where you should mock, but um, it can be difficult if you have a function that's mocked all over the place and then that function gets updated. And now there's, it's not like your tests break or any, you just have mocks that are returning the wrong value. So it's that, that can, that can be a challenge, especially on a team of developers. If one developer changes a function's return and they change it in the places where they think are relevant, but they don't realize they have to go update all these mocks that that's a challenge of over mocking for, that's a big one. Yeah. That I've been bit by that one before. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, where I introduced a bug to production because I had too many mocks. Those were back in my more dogmatic days uh, of test-driven development. But, yeah, I would say you should probably only have, I don't know, max three mocks. (laughs) And that's a lot. That's a whole lot. (laughs) Yeah. It is so, like, um, it's so specific toward the situation though so that's where it comes to using your best judgment i, I should clarify three mocks per test not three mocks in the entire oh, yeah. test <laughs> framework or test suite um for sure yeah three mocks in a test suite's low right um i think the other really important thing to think about when you're mocking is that your unit tests are a method of debugging so if a unit test fails you should be able to pinpoint what caused the test to fail to an extent because you're testing a unit. So you should be able to go in there and figure out, okay, this unit test failed. Where's the bug? Pretty easily. So if you don't have enough mocks in your code, you know, in your test, you're hitting a function that hits this other class that hits this other class that hits this other class. And if it goes too deep, that means your unit is probably too big because you won't be able to pinpoint um, where the bug is. So that's where you you should probably add some extra mucks to be able to um, debug appropriately and reduce your unit to something that would be considered small. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think that's that's for me kind of. I mean that or important. slice the unit smaller like you were saying yeah if you're going through five or six different classes and that top level one fails and like class call two or something you know you should have tests for the three that are even below that and that's going to help pinpoint well those are still passing let's write a test for this class two oh look now all of a sudden something's failing yeah the the only issue that i see with with that is that then um, there are no issues i said it <laughs> i have all the answers don't you remember okay derek well <laughs> the thing that to me becomes difficult is that um not every developer on the team is going to be aware that it, that the other classes are um, fully tested. I mean, you can go check, like you can check every class that got called. So, so, okay. You have a test that failed and it called five different classes and you don't know which one you can go check all five classes and see if they're tested and see if their tests, um, like cover the base for what was being called 
in the first test. It just it becomes a. I mean, it it still seems like the unit is too big. Like you, it leave it. You're leaving it up to the developer still to have to go and figure out where in the code the bug is throughout amidst of classes. And um, I do agree that like that is one way to think about it for sure. But also it's like you could just mock that first class call and now you know for sure that the bug is in that first class. But it would certainly just depend on the situation. Like you, again, it comes back to um, you might want both tests. I don't know. It's, it's so hard to... Um, to come up with specific rules for what should and shouldn't be mocked, but it seems like the the pro to mocking the first call to a different class in that sort of situation would be you can pinpoint the error, but the con would be does your test fully represent the use case or does it just represent this piece that's like too small, which, yeah, I guess I guess unit tests could be too big or too small. Well, yeah, I guess coming into the a unit test should test the hmm, like the full use case. Well, right. So one of our things was don't test like your programming language. Like don't don't test if your code divides by zero because oh, we know yeah. your programming language is going to throw an exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About that. Uh, but then kind of extending from that. Yeah, I guess you could have unit tests that were so small you're testing that the language does what it's supposed to or like you're just asserting that something got called with something you know and then it's like is this really that valuable or would it be more valuable for that thing to actually get called and make sure that like the integration between the classes is good but then but then you can keep going down that path where there's that class calls another class and calls another class and you can't pinpoint it. So that, that that's I, it, that's a very I'm difficult gonna, area. I'll draw a line. I'm, okay. I'm comfortable drawing lines. Okay, what's your it. line? In the scenario that was given, calling, you know, the dependent class or the dependency with whatever you're like, oh, okay, is it more valuable to write a test on the dependency class or the dependent class? Well, if the dependency class needs to make like limit the amount of inputs that can come to it, that that's a valuable test for that, and that tests its use cases. Because a negative use case is still a use case. You are not allowed to use it this way, mm-hmm. and it should be validated that that doesn't allow it to be used that way. Okay. Yeah. So that's my line. So you can... So I don't think you can have too small of a unit test. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so so then in that case, you would want to mock the class in the first test, in the dependent class, because the dependency class has its own test. Or, or not mock. Well, in this particular scenario, I think you would add a test to the dependency class. Yeah. And you would have to fix the test in the dependent class because it was using data that didn't accurately represent what your system would work with. It was using, it was trying to pass a value to a dependency and that dependency couldn't deal with it, which at this point we now know is an inaccurate representation. And so you would fix that test to no longer do it. Okay. Not write a mock to accept invalid. And, and that's see, that's the poor use of a mock is when I you're see. trying to support these invalid uses. And it, right. it also causes confusion because if you've documented, oh yeah, this takes an int and a string, and then you're mocking it out in tests so you can throw and you know, dang it, I do it. I like to write a little comedy into my tests. And so very often if there's like a timestamp, I use the day that the music died. Remember that? <laughs> no, but it, it's a song, right? Yeah, well, yeah. It, um, it, it refers to an event of a, a plane crash where some musicians died. Oh, but, never mind. I Well, well I've heard references to it in songs. songs. Yeah. <laughs> written by it. But um there are songs written about it. I can't remember if there's one title of it. But you know, I, 
sometimes that is out of range for the valid dates that this system can support. But it's like, dang it, that's a nice Easter egg to put in there. And so it's a good one. I've I've done it. I've sinned. It's good. Well, no, it's in a test. But, it's good to put stuff like that in a test. You got to pick some date. Why not pick a cool one? Or exactly. But <laughs> I'm saying that I've mocked things so that it supports an invalid date because oh, I want to. Oh, Derek, you're so bad. <laughs> um, so yes, don't do that. But you know, it happens. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, but I do see exactly what you're saying now. Like because. Um, because the the test for the dependent class failed, something's wrong with that class or that test because that's the one that failed. And the exactly. thing that might be wrong is the way it's interacting with these other classes. But if those tests are not failing, as long as everybody's testing in this same sort of way, yeah, then then you, you that know you seems have invalid test data. Yeah. Wow. I hope everyone followed that. <laughs> yeah, we, we really need to like have a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. Draw some of this stuff. Yeah, maybe you, we'll... You can also email us. Just email uh, us, yeah. You know, add us now. on Twitter at namespace underscore pod. And I will do my best to explain <laughs> again. Yeah. I think a lot about testing, like a lot. We, we, we've talked about it a lot too. Um, but yeah, so I guess when it comes to mocking, that's kind of going to be our guideline there is um, you don't need to mock within the system unless you have to. <laughs> like if it's an API a, request a that you don't want to make. tautology. Yeah, uh, unless you have a good reason for yeah. why you don't want to have to do that. Yeah, like uh, unless you like you need to make your unit smaller or something. Use your best judgment, guys. Yeah, but but a, a good reason for mocking is, oh, I don't actually want to make. It. Okay, so here's here's one. I used to uh, shoot. I still do ETL platforms. Yeah. But we would work with uh, data providers APIs, and so if I'm running a test for my client for that vendor's API, I don't actually want to be making requests to their API in tests and staging. Right. Like I want to mock that out. Yes. And that is a good use of a mock. But That's if I'm mocking use. so that I can pass in invalid data and, you know, get test results, then that is not a good use of yeah. mocking. Or like, you know, if you want to mock, oh, I was going to say if you want to mock a class to make sure it returns an exception, but then it's like, oh, just pass it data that makes it return an exception. Well, there are times where the setup to throw that exception is more complex than it would be to just mock yeah. it to throw the exception. And that's another good use of a mock is yeah. with, and initially that's what they were for is to control behaviors of dependencies inside of this function. Mm -hmm. So there's, a, there's another good point is um, what's easier, what's more valuable um, because sometimes adding in a mock and like figuring out how to mock something can be a lot of work, but then sometimes, um, trying to get this dependency to raise an exception can be a lot of work. Um, so you kind of have to it balance be more confusing too. And it can, yeah. So do, do your best judgment. <laughs> Again, don't be dogmatic. Don't be That's dogmatic. That's what we're saying. Ask Make, your friends if you can't if you can't think about it. If it if, ask your friends and get other opinions. We don't have any friends. We are anti-social. <laughs> we don't like people. Ask your dev team. I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of... There, there, there is a lot of hard consideration when it comes to testing, and that's why it's hard. Um, hope, hopefully, y'all are thinking this through with us and able to learn something and come up with new ideas from us talking because that's the goal is that we can all learn something yeah i mean we we certainly learned a lot yeah <laughs> that we both don't do test-driven development properly yeah that neither of us do bdd <laughs> yeah well okay so code coverage goals we can hit really quick which should i be 100 percent covered don't be dogmatic it's not a perfect world um yeah like have code coverage goals but you know it's uh it kind of comes back to that quote you mentioned earlier where perfection oh hinders hinders explosion, explosion. Many, many yeah yes. it's like if you spend forever trying to get this one line tested i mean just you know just do your best um yeah. Yeah. Hit cut, test all the cases uh, that seem like like they really need to be tested that they're like really important um potential cases. 
Yeah, if you need a goal, I would say above 90%. That's a good goal. I think... Um, I think it's a realistic goal. Above 80% is sometimes a goal, but I... Above 90... <laughs> oh my gosh. What project have you and I ever worked on together where we have a code coverage less than 90%? Oh no, ours is always above 90%. There you go. 90. <laughs> Okay, don't. I'm just saying, like, we, we for the want whole our team. listeners to hold themselves to the same standard we hold ourselves to. Yeah. A plus above 90. Okay. And then, um, you know, we already hit some of these points, but just to go back, we'll provide some counter arguments to the TDD is dead or TDD is bad type arguments. Um, one, like, it takes too long. Uh, yeah, you can't rush quality. Oh, yes. This is another one of my quotes. Oh, is it? Go ahead. Things of quality are rarely finished quickly. There you go. Is that a Zenzing or what? It's a good one because it's, it's true. It's like it's, yeah, it takes a little bit longer to test your code well. At least it's tested well. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> it, should be, it should be tested well. Um, I mean, like we said before, how you are able to uh, reduce the number of bugs going into production by unit testing. TDD just adds an extra layer by ensuring like your tests are valid. And it is a quicker way to unit test for the most part than writing tests after because you don't have to dig through your code. I mean, there, there are so many benefits to TDD and unit testing that it takes too long is not a valid argument against it. Let's, yeah, don't... Coding takes a long don't, time. Don't email us and tell us that it takes too long. We will dismiss that. Well, you can email us. We will just dismiss it, though. She might... <laughs> okay um some arguments we saw like tdd doesn't emphasize system testing enough well it doesn't it's about it's about programmer tests it's about unit tests um it, it's tests by developers for developers yeah that's what it is that's it, why we have qa teams yeah so tdd doesn't say don't have system tests you should still yeah. have system tests yeah it's just a different function for sure um all right. And then, you know, the other one that we, we think a lot of people probably don't like TDD because it's difficult for them to figure out what a unit is. Like a lot of people um, just talk about kind of like the dogmatic idea of like the, what TDD should be and how it should be done, what it's supposed to be. It's like, don't don't think so. Well, do think hard. Like it's hard. You have to figure it out. But don't look for a perfect catch-all answer to your questions. You just have to figure it out as you go. Let's quote Don at this point. Oh, the rule sure. of silver bullets is there are no silver bullets. Okay, there you go. <laughs> TDD is not a silver bullet. It's not. But we we saw some articles where people were like, oh, TDD is not a silver bullet, and I for one have never heard somebody say that. Yeah. I'm sure there's people out there that have, but yeah, like the. Yeah, it's not a silver bullet. That doesn't doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not a silver bullet. It's not supposed to be. Okay. Um, all right. And then, you know, we said an argument. Uh, TDD is not about test correctness. Or wait, it's about test correctness, not about code correctness. Which... Well, so it, it focuses on passing tests, not correctness. That, that, that was the argument that was made. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's somebody that's doing TDD wrong. Right. Because if you're starting from an error condition, you're writing that based on your functional requirement, your user requirements, your specs, whatever. Um, and, and however that fits into the larger mm-hmm. picture of things. And then, yes, you're focusing on making that test pass. But it started from the error condition of an actual requirement, which is correctness. Yes. Uh, and so... Anybody that has that issue is working with people that aren't doing TDD correctly. Right. Your tests should be validated because they should fail. Okay. Um, Last comment, which will bring us back to the main topic of this episode. People who argue against TDD um, are very upset about obsession over code coverage and obsession over mocking and obsession over um, integration versus unit. It's a very opinionated topic. And I know because I was very opinionated for years. In fact, I I basically ran myself out of a team because I was so dogmatic about how we test. Um, But yeah, 
Don't, don't be. be don't be dogmatic. Yeah. Ta da! That's that's really that's it right there. Wait, is that a silver bullet? Don't be dogmatic. Yeah. No. <laughs> I won't I won't curse it out. I'm not gonna say that. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- yeah, that's everything. We did a lot of really hard thinking to try and come up with our actual opinions on all these things because it's very difficult sometimes. Um to it, like it's just it's so vague and generic, but this is these are our thoughts. Yeah. Um and thank you guys so much for listening. And email us at namespace.pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about what you think about TDD or BDD, um, mocking integration unit, any anything right. you want to talk to us about. And, and and definitely check out the Twitter at namespace underscore pod. We already have a couple of tweets out there. We're following a couple of really good people. Yeah. Um, we have an Instagram. I don't know if it's as popular yet. Well, I'm doing Twitter is not popular yet, either, <laughs> but there's content. I don't know about Instagram. <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, but yeah, you can you can find us online. We'd love to connect with you guys and continue this discussion. Um, so, so, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Awesome. We're out. <laughs>